This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Hope you guys are having a good day out there today. Got a good show coming up for you. Bob Timmons, who covers outdoors um, writing and adventures for the Star Tribune, will join me here in a little bit. He has a great piece coming up on in Sunday's paper, Sunday's Star Tribune, about a bikepacking adventure he had, gravel biking out in southeast Minnesota, 200-mile grueling trip he took with a couple of friends. He wrote about it, wrote about the experience, wrote about, you know, why he did it, wrote about, um, you know, what the process entailed and talked with me a lot about that for the show in advance of that story. So I hope you enjoy that interview with Bob Timmons. Got to get to the Twins game here in a little bit. They lose 6-3 to the Brewers, a couple of downpours interrupting that game. Anybody who was outside in the Twin Cities on Tuesday night saw just the sky was ridiculous. It was like just either any direction you looked, the sky looked different. There were clear patches. There were, you know, pinkish purple patches. There were just storm clouds everywhere. It was very, uh, very threatening sky, and the Twins felt the brunt of that and lost. Um, We'll get to... uh, get to Miguel Sano's return with the St. Paul Saints as well. Got to get to the Lynx and a big win for them on Tuesday night. Double overtime, even after giving up a couple of leads. Much needed win for them as they try to make a second second half playoff push. And I'll get to an NBA rule change that I think is pretty interesting for next season as well. It looks like it is in the works. But first, what did I miss? <clears throat> Wild trades Cam Talbot just a few days after general manager Bill Guerin defiantly said he doesn't have to do anything, doesn't have to trade him when his agent he said, my team is set right now. Um, you know, Talbot's agent had said to, uh, to TSN at the draft that Guerin had a lot to think about after Wild general manager Bill Guerin ex- you know, signed uh, Marc-Andre Fleury to that two-year contract created. A certain amount of tension, it would seem, in the goalie room. Now, these two goalies, you know, got along fine after after uh, after Flurry was acquired late last season for the playoff push. But then Flurry played the bulk of the playoff games, the first five, before Talbot got the nod in Game Six, the elimination game that they lost to St. Louis. And then, you know, with the with Flurry getting re-signed for two years and Talbot being on the final year of his contract, Wild decide to trade him to Ottawa. They do get a backup goalie in the process, Philip Gustafsson. Um, not great numbers for Ottawa last year, but um, sounds like they are they are high on him. Think he can be the backup. He was five twelve and one with a three point five five goals against average and an eight ninety two save percentage. But I'll dig into. Uh, maybe for some writing later, I'll dig into some of his advanced stats and see if there's more to like, because it seems like the Wild do like the 24-year-old Swedish goalie, and sometimes it does take those young goalies a little while to come along. But the biggest thing here is I guess, addition by subtraction might be the wrong word, because I don't think Cam Talbot would have been necessarily a problem had they chosen to keep both goalies. I think they could have made it work. Talbot would have been a professional would have done a credible job in net. But, you know, Bill Guerin <clears throat> met with the media Tuesday and kind of explained, you know, 
the rationale behind making this move and why to do it now. So let's listen to Bill Guerin's thoughts on that. I just felt over the what's transpired over the last little while, um, you know, with the signing of Mark andre Fleury, that, you know, it was probably best to just move in a different direction with Cam. Um, that way there's no, uh, you know, there's, there's no drama. There's no controversy or anything like that. And, um, we just felt that the, it was best at this time. You know, a gut feeling, you know, Cam and I actually had a very good conversation. We, you know, him and I actually gotten to know each other rather well over the last couple of years. And, you know, it's sometimes you just, you know, in your gut that, that things might not work out and somebody might not be happy. And it's, you know, I, I just, I don't want a player to be like that either. And sometimes it's best to just, to just move on. And, you know, like I said, there, there was no drama. We didn't want to create drama. We, you know, I, I know Cam, he's not a, he's a no BS guy. And so am I. So let's just try to make everybody happy here and, and, and we'll, we'll just part ways. But um, I have a ton of respect for Cam. So a, a little bit of like mixed messaging there because you know, he's saying he doesn't want there to be drama. I think he's, he, everybody can acknowledge that there, there had the potential to be some uncomfortability in the room, as they like to say, you know, the, wh- whatever the feeling is in the locker room that had the potential to go in a, in a, you know, I don't think it was, like it wouldn't have been a, a super bad direction, like I said, because Cam Talbot is a pro. Whoever was playing that night, Talbot or Flurry, would have been fine, and the goalies are a little bit separate from everybody else anyway. But you know, he, Garen's also acknowledging that this is not you know that the Flurry re-signing Flurry is not what Talbot won. He wanted to be the number one goalie here. He should have that opportunity in Ottawa, and now Flurry is the undisputed number one goalie here now. Was that the right goalie decision for the Wild? Because I think we can point to Cam Talbot and some of his inconsistency last season as you know the reason they got Flurry that they traded um, traded for Flurry traded Capo Kakinen got Flurry, but Talbot really did solidify this position when he arrived in the 2020-21 season. He played 33 games in that shortened 56 game season, 19 eight and five, a 915 save percentage. Nine, you know, two sixty-three goals against average. Last year was quite good. Again, he was an all-star last year. If you don't remember, forty, you know, forty-eight starts. He was thirty-two, twelve, and four. Again, nine eleven save percentage, two seventy-six goals against average. I don't think he was great last year, um, and maybe the Wild's offensive output, you know, maybe you know, covered up some of his problems, but. He, by and large, was a good goalie here, solidified that position after it had been going downhill. Uh, you know, it felt like that was a good, he was a good bridge goalie, a good, you know, got them into the playoffs a couple years in a row, was certainly a factor in getting them there. Now, Marc-Andre Fleury obviously has the pedigree. You know, he's won three Stanley Cups, and as recently as the 2021 season, posted a 1.98 goals against average last year was about like Talbot, and when he arrived here, he was 9-2 and with a 2.74 goals against average and that 9-10 save percentage. So maybe as players, they're about the same at this point in the career, the difference maybe being that Flurry will turn 38 in November. Talbot, a little bit younger. He just turned 35 a, about a week ago. So both of them veterans, clearly. So this is just a direction they obviously chose to go, um, you know, and obviously their future is... You know, the future is not Marc-Andre Fleury forever. They have 
I mean, the Wild took Jesper Walstead in the first round of the 2021 draft, 20th overall goalie. And, you know, when you do that, you are banking on that player being your goalie of the future. But still, he was, you know, 18 when he was drafted. He's not going to be here probably anytime soon. You know, very a very young goalie. Um, so that's, you know, so that, that piece of it, you know, you've got to think of ways down the road. So but this clearly makes Flurry the number one goalie next year. This will not be a tandem, probably. This will probably be more of a traditional NHL split where Flurry plays like 65 to 70% of the games and the rest are handled by someone else, presumably the player they just acquired in this trade, assuming they like him enough, uh, Gustafsson. So, we will see, but uh, you know the drama. You know the drama is still present um, until the Kirill Kaprizov situation is cleared up. But in terms of the goalie situation, yes, they have cleared it up, and we will find out as the season goes along if it was the right goaltending move. Switch your checking account to Royal Credit Union and discover a better way to bank. Royal Credit Union is a financial co-op not a corporation, so we return earnings to our members. That means you get low or no fees for account services and better rates on deposits and loans. You'll also have all the digital tools you need at your fingertips, so managing your account is easy. Royal is ready to help you discover the credit union difference. Switch your checking account to Royal Credit Union today at rcu.org slash your checking. Insured by NCUA. I want to get to Bob Timmons here in just a couple minutes, but let's talk twins for a moment. They lose... 6-3 to the Brewers. Like I said at the jump, a game with two rain delays. Just couldn't really get untracked in that game. Um, you know, just trying to, you know, they were doing their best, but it was just not uh, it was not their game. The Brewers, you know, put up two right away in the first inning. The Twins got it back to 2-2 after four, but then Milwaukee gets three in the fifth, and that's kind of it for them. Josh Winder who had been going pretty well, just, you know, I don't think he pitched terribly overall, but gave up a couple of big hits, um, goes five innings, four hits, five runs in that game. You know, the big blows for the Brewers, obviously being um, Andrew McCutcheon home run in the first inning, and then um, another home run in the fifth that gave the Brewers that five to two lead. So that you know, disappointing for the Twins. Just won. They're right back at it this afternoon um, to, to finish off the series before those four very important games against the White Sox. Um, probably more interestingly in the big picture for the Twins, Miguel Sano made his return on a rehab assignment with the St. Saint Paul Saints. Only got a couple of at-bats because he... Uh, because of the rain, they, they, that game, the the Saints game was suspended by rain. They did not, uh, they did not continue it. But he did um, walk on a walked in the first inning and scored a run, then doubled to right center, um, two run double to right center in the second inning. So he did get two at bats in that game. Roycey, Patrick Roycey was over there, said, Miguel, looking trim, took batting practice, just reading from his column, made a jovial walk down a hall, told an employee that a surgically repaired left knee felt good, really good, declined an interview from a strip correspondent, and waited out a rain delay to get in some at-bats while hitting third as the DH for the Saints. No specific timeline from his return. Still reading from the Roycey column, the Twins were saying 11 miles away in Minneapolis. And it's fair to wonder if, you know, 
if and when he will return. This is the last year he is under contract. Have we seen the last of him in a Twins uniform? Will he work his way back into the mix as the year goes along? Good questions there. I guess we'll find out more as time goes on. But Sano, kind of the forgotten man, and now working his way back a little bit into our consciousness. I am happy to be joined today by Bob Timmons. Does a great job writing about the outdoors for the Star Tribune. Has a great piece coming up in this Sunday's paper on a bikepacking trip. He and two friends took 200 miles, gravel roads, kind of unrelenting sun, big hills. Um, Bob, I hope you fully recovered. It was a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think my legs are back. I've been I've been on the bike. I, I will say some of the you know the guys I was with Dan and Tim we were all kind of like <laughs> not to go too deep, but the sort of saddle sore thing. Like oh, sure. I'm not I'm not ready to get back on a bike anytime quick. But no, it was it was an amazing uh, experience and um, in a beautiful part of the state that I think kind of uh, except for the people who live down there and people who invest explore and know it, it's kind of flies under the radar a little bit. Yeah, so this is more in the southeast part of the state. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. It's an area called the Driftless. And, uh, you know, Driftless area, a lot of people probably know it as, you know, the hills or bluff country, really. You know, anytime you're headed down the Mississippi River Valley toward Winona, La Crosse, any of that way, uh, you can't help but see the, you know, the beauty of the bluffs and so forth. And so, yeah, we were riding all those ridge tops and dropping in, having crazy two mile long descents, you know, into valleys. And it was just, yeah, it was amazing. So maybe we can start at the beginning, kind of what, what sparked the idea to, to want to do this trip, which, you know, kind of combines maybe some elements of some things folks have been, have been up to as far as outdoor adventures go. Yeah. Rambal, I, um, you know, like a lot of us, uh, we, sort of like backpacking <laughs> figuratively on a great idea. I read about um, a guy named Rick Pirtle from Bloomington, who's a really interesting guy and a longtime gravel rider, wrote a piece in uh, the Parks and Trails Council magazine, Minnesota Trails, about this trip. And, you know, as I get into the story a little bit, gravel riding is, uh, you know, is sort of evolved like a lot of sports and recreation can evolve, you know, cyclists looking for different places to go. And um, let's, you know, don't always have to mountain bike or road bike. And Hey, we got these gravel roads that have, you know, from the early times, you know, these gravel roads have always been there. And Rick wrote a great piece about uh, he and a friend who uh, go down to this part of Southeastern Minnesota and decided to stay in cabins, you know, something they learned from previous trips, like, Hey, we should stay in a cabin sometime, get out of the weather you know, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, realized, Rick realized he could patch, you know, these these three uh, state parks together, um, knowing it would be a lot of mileage and, you know, over three days and so forth. But I, yeah, again, we just, Tim and Dan, my buddies, the three of us kind of uh, ripped off their idea and, and did our thing. And, and Rick, but Rick was helpful too, going into it and sharing some details about uh, just logistical things. The riding itself sounds like it was pretty I mean, intense. You describe it in the lead, and I'm sure people will read it in this Sunday's paper. I got a sneak peek of it, uh, obviously, to before I talk to you. But just you know, the uphills, the just it was almost absurd at some points, right? Yeah, we had um, we had climbs that were uh, 
you would we'd be in these upland areas just amazing uh seeing the corn rows in the in towns water towers farms kind of specking the horizon just these beautiful upland areas that were hilly and could be hilly in their own right of course uh rises and climbs but we'd also have these you know we'd get into these valleys and have mile and a half two mile uphills Mm. um but you know We'd also have these amazing, you'd come around a corner uh, at times and, and suddenly you'd be dropping a mile and a half to two miles, you know, ripping through gravel at 25, 30 miles an hour. So, I mean, there, was, there were parts of it that were really like, uh, like adrenaline pumping fun, but you also got punished too. I mean, you knew anytime we'd have a great descent, it was like, well, we're going to be climbing here <laughs> at some point. It's time to go back up. And conversely, you know, anytime we had a massive climb and our, you know, our heart rates were spiking, we knew, you know, we knew we were probably going to have a pretty good drop too. So what kind of gear do you need for something like this? I mean, I, I don't, I think you and I talked before we started recording, you're not necessarily, you didn't necessarily write this like a, Hey, everybody go try this. It was more of a, here was my experience. Here's kind of, here's, here's, here's something that I got out of this, but you know, I imagine when you're, you, all you've got is your, your bike and your backpack, you got to travel fairly light, but you got to have a pretty, um, your bike is kind of your, your key, uh, your key instrument there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good question because I was, you know, I <laughs> don't want to give away too much, but I do write in the story and anyone who cycles, who does anything on a site, on a bike, doesn't matter if you're doing something arguably extreme or just going for a roll with your kids you slow down and the bike was a great tool, you know, a great way to really explore this part of the state um, as opposed, and then being on back roads, we were really kind of digging in and going to areas that you just knew would be un, are untouched, but, but for the people that live there, but I, yeah, no, it was the bike. I, uh, you know, my buddies, gravel bikes are, I could look up stats, you know, later today, but I, last I saw gravel bikes are some of, the biggest sellers in the bike industry and they're you got bigger tires larger tires uh kind of a wider wheelbase so they're these bikes that are sort of built you can take them on the roads but they're really built for like absorbing the gravel the rocky stuff and um i was on a mountain bike that i kind of modified my tires so they weren't like aggressive mountain bike tires so i could kind of absorb things too but yeah the um you don't have to go out and buy a $3,000 gravel bike to do something like this, you know, or just to even go for a roll on gravel roads. It just takes a little homework and, uh, and just sort of making it up kind of like we did. I mean, we used some online tools, um, and just knew of, again, what Rick Pearl's experience was and we kind of patched it together. So when you've got the three of you, are you able to, you know, are there stretches where you can, where you can have, kind of conversations and share experiences or are you working so hard the whole time that it's kind of like, Hey, let's, let's all get through it. And then we'll rest at camp later on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we did. Uh, I will say we weren't surprised going into this. We knew it was going to be really tough um, and intense because like I said, we've ridden down there on our road bikes, but gravel, you're adding another dimension um, and have more and gear on your bike too. So instead of a light road bike, we've got, you know, I've got to dry clothes for later that night. I've got food. I've got, you know, a blanket and a 
pillow, you know, light pillow. So you're, you know, I've maybe had like 15 pounds of stuff on my bike, but the beauty of staying in, uh, sorry if I'm getting digressing, No, but great. the beauty of, um, our trip is that, um, we stayed in camper cabins, which allowed us to pack less. So we didn't have, we didn't pack a lot of, we didn't pack cookware. We didn't pack sleeping bags, didn't pack, uh, uh, you know, those sorts of things. Cause we knew we'd be in on bunks in camper cabins out of the weather, no tents. We didn't have to pack a tent. So suddenly we were a little lighter. We basically ate on the road. So we would stop it. You know, you'd hit a quick trip and have a chicken sandwich and a Gatorade and a bag of chips and a cliff bar or whatever. We stopped at a, you know, a few cafes and had, you know, meals. Uh, we were constantly being mindful of water. You know, we we're burning through water, of course, and, uh, you know, park pumps, public buildings, the kindness of strangers. I had a really funny experience. Uh, we came into Fillmore on the last day. So we were like Southwest of Chatfield. If you know Rochester and working your way to yep. Lanesboro and, uh, you know, Fillmore is a, a little village township. And we were hoping maybe there's, you know, we couldn't tell from the map, even from Googling, whether there would be a, uh, whether there'd be a place to stop for water. And sure enough, there wasn't. And we were both, we were still had several good 10, 12 miles to get to Chatfield. So I knocked on a door, you know, we looked for like open garage doors and thought, and, the, and a guy uh, named uh, Baker, <laughs> I kind of rattled his grandkids like grandpa, there's some guy out here and yeah. <laughs> the bike, you know, and, um, and Baker came to the door. Uh, and I said something like, uh, you know, I'd really could use some water if you don't mind. And he said, there's water all around here. And which was really funny because all we did is ride by creeks the root river, this whole driftless region, you know, from a geographic, if you really want to dig in, it's all carved by water. It's all veined with streams and springs. And so he was giving me the business a little bit. And then he waved me in and we had a great conversation in his kitchen and uh, let me fill up at his, uh, his fridge tap. So yeah, we had just experiences like that, that were, that were really uh, cool and meaningful. That sounds amazing, Bob. Last couple things for you? I mean, as you kind of think about the trip and you've kind of reflected on it, and obviously when you write about it, you, you reflect on it. What, what about it? I mean, what about it maybe stands out the most or what, what about the experience do you, do you feel like you will keep with you the most? Yeah, that's a good, that's another good question. And I've been reflecting on that. Um, I think we all, Tim, Dan, and I were all reminded you know, sort of a new appreciation for um, this area of, of Minnesota, certainly, and see, and slow, even though we were going hard and going fast at times, but like really slowing down and um, seeing people at work, seeing people live their lives, seeing the, the stunning verdant crops and, you know, these remote areas in a, in a whole new way. We, um, and then I guess the other part too is, you know, there was this sort of personal you know, we're all people who like it, like you, Mike, and like Minnesotans that are listening to this, we all have our things that we're into and test us in, in certain ways, hobbies. And this, this, you know, Dan, or, you know, Dan, Tim and I are all, you know, uh, late fifties, early sixties. And, you know, it was, it was sort of like testing us too. We thought, we think we know we can, you know, we can cycle hard and 
we, you know, we can camp and do these things, but this was a new thing for us. And it, and uh, in a new way with the gravel, really digging into the gravel part. And so, yeah, it was a test for us too, kind of like older guys trying to kind of hang on to their, um, their passions and things. So in that regard, we, we came through, I mean, we, it, it was physically, you know, it was tough. It was intense, but we never had a bad mechanical, you know, we, we kept, you know, the balance of it is we had all these like moments of kindness, kind strangers, or, you know, all these sorts of things that happen to us when we're in the outdoors, anybody speaking about anybody, you know, you just kind of keep a, we went into it eyes wide open and, you know, things were intense, but it was just in totally amazing time. Any, uh, any big, uh, projects or you know experiences coming up or are you going to kind of take it easy for a little while <laughs> yeah definitely going to camp a little bit more uh my wife and i and even my daughter katie uh our youngest uh looking for opportunities to just camp before the summer's out and hit some of our you know not just we have wonderful state parks we also have wonderful state forests national forests there's a lot of places to go um and just to find that sort of peace so yeah looking forward to that it seems like a lot of people are still looking for those state park experiences. I think you and I talked about that maybe last year sometime, just as, you yeah. know, there was, you know, as the, the pandemic, pandemic was happening, yeah. but it feels like that is still, that is still a very big thing. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do, I do think uh, some of the overnights, the way the state kind of tabulates camping, they refer to them as overnight occupancy and things. I think some of the overnights have maybe diminished a little bit, even the way, um, uh, some of the, like buying the toys and things have diminished a little bit. And, um, but no, people are still, uh, in general, people are still heading to the outdoors for refuge. Yeah. I mean, to, you know, again, just to separate in our, our, uh, mad world, I guess, you know, plugged in world. Yes. Plugged in world. Absolutely. Well, Bob, Great, uh, great story. Look for that in Sunday's paper. Congrats on finishing the ride. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Ramball. Take care. Great talking to Bob Timmons. As always, Bob does a great job. Like I said, writing about the outdoors. He's, he articulates things very well. I feel like on this podcast as well, always thoughtful, interesting answers whenever he's been on. And whenever he's on, I feel like I, I get this kind of spirit of adventure i don't know if i want to go ride a bike 200 miles right now bicycling is cycling is not so much what i do but you know just kind of getting out in nature again going for a long hike a long run something like that maybe that'll be part of my day today after getting fired up talking to bob timmons about his upcoming sunday story and his recent adventure um on on those gravel trails Let's move on. The Lynx got a big win. I almost felt like they won three times um, in this uh, in this game because of how the game transpired. They beat Phoenix. They had a 13-point lead, I believe, in regulation, but let it get away. Phoenix forces overtime. Um, they had a five-point lead in, with two minutes left in the first overtime, lost that. Um, Kent Youngblood describes it as an unnecessary marathon, but they ended it with the sprint. That's a good, uh, good little turn of phrase. They, uh, they wound up, um, 15 to four edge in that second overtime, finally put Phoenix away, a badly 
needed win because those two teams close in the WNBA standings. The Lynx, of course, after that terrible 13-3 and start, trying to furiously scramble and get back up into that number eight spot at least to qualify for the postseason. And now, you know, after this game, um, looks like a lot of the teams they were chasing lost or have have lost recently. So now, you know, the Lynx still have the second worst record in the league, but they're only a half a game out of 10th, um, a half a game out of 9th now because of Phoenix and still just a game and a half now out of 8th. So watch for that. They're, you know, this is, you know, this is a team that put itself in a pretty big sizable hole. Not sure if they can climb all the way out of it, but they're doing their best right now. They're 6-2 and two in their last eight games, won this one, a very important game. and We'll see where they can take it from here. Let's finish with the cooler. An NBA rule that absolutely drive me, drives me nuts might be going away soon. I was reading ESPN story, Adam Silver talking about um, a lot. The bigger part of the story was about the age limit for players perhaps going down from 19 to 18, but the part that took that caught my attention more was that these fouls in transition, you know, when a team gets out in transition and there's one defender back and he just basically like makes a half-hearted play at the ball, you know, fouls the player who is, you know, probably going to start a two-on-one or is going to get to get himself into a clear path situation, but it's before the clear path. Um, Those fouls have just been common fouls and it's, you know, it's been called a good strategy. You know, you take the foul, you make the team, reset get a basket in the half court offense well now if you make a foul like that it sounds like the the uh, it would ch- the rule would change that uh, that if the defender the defender not making a play on the ball the other team would get one free throw which could be attempted by any player on the team who is in the game when the foul is committed so almost like a technical foul not called a technical foul uh, so it's not like a penalty of threat of getting ejected from the game but it'll be treated essentially like a technical foul instead of just a common foul and that to me is a good step in the right direction because you should not be penalized you know the team the team taking an obvious penalty the team taking an obvious foul should not gain an advantage just by doing that you should get some benefit from you know getting out in transition and having a transition opportunity so i hope this rule sticks and i hope that they reap the benefits of it next year in the nba That will do it for me here today. Expecting to have Phil Miller on Thursday's podcast to to wrap up that Brewer series and to look ahead to that big four-game series between the Twins and the White Sox. And hoping to have Minnesota United manager Adrian Heath on Friday's show to talk Loons, to talk Everton, his old club. They are playing them in a friendly in a few days, so that would be a fun one as well. Still finalizing the details on that one, though, so... Hold tight on that. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Be back at it again tomorrow.